Hello, and welcome to the Faith and Sustainability Podcast. I am your host, Leonard Robinson. This podcast is a project of the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Atlanta, Laudato Si Initiative. On this podcast, we will go on a journey to explore the role of the Catholic Church and other faiths impact in sustainability. Experts, theologians, and thought leaders will share their opinions and perspectives as guests on the podcast. Sustainability focuses on meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. The concept of sustainability is composed of three pillars, social, environmental, and economic, also known as people, planet, and prosperity. This podcast is made possible with the generous funding and support from the Archbishop's Annual Appeal, Georgia Interfaith Power and Light, Rutherford Seidel, Jamie Lanier, the Baltimore Family Foundation, the Sustainable Environmental Management Company, St. Francis Services, and the time, treasure, and talent from several individuals. The Faith and Sustainability Podcast is coming to you from the Archdiocese of Atlanta Chancery in Smyrna, Georgia. Joining us on this episode is Ashley Morris. He is the Director of Black Catholic Affairs in the Office of Intercultural Ministries at the Archdiocese of Atlanta. Previously, he served as Associate Director of the Office of Intercultural Ministries and as an Assistant Campus Minister at the Lighthouse, the Catholic Center at Atlanta University Center. He received his bachelor's degree in mass media arts, concentrating in radio, TV, and film from Clark Atlanta University in 2005, and a Master of Pastoral Theology from the Institute of Black Catholic Studies of Xavier University of Louisiana in 2014. Ashley also championed the Embrace Environmental Justice and Equity section of the updated Laudato Si Action Plan, which we will discuss later. Right now, let's get to know Ashley. Ashley, very impressive background. What are your responsibilities as Director of Black Catholic Affairs? Well, uh, thank you first, Leonard, for having me here for this podcast and this important conversation. Um, And uh, I am humbled that you use the word impressive to describe my background. I wouldn't use that word myself, but (laughs) it's always uh, helpful to know that there is support in ministry. And so I get this question often, and my my first go-to answer is always, well, what don't I do? It's easier to list the things that I don't do than to go down a list of what I, you know, are, are partaking in on a daily basis. But to give you a succinct answer, uh, in Black Catholic Affairs as a director, I am an advocate for our Black Catholic communities and our Black communities here in the Archdiocese. So I ensure working with the communities and our pastors of predominantly African-American, African communities, Afro-Caribbean, Afro-Hispanic communities, that their needs and concerns are addressed by our many offices here at the Archdiocese, but also that we have the opportunity to share our unique gifts so that the full diversity of the church is realized, especially from um, our communities that have such a rich cultural and historical uh, footprint here in Atlanta. Wow, that's, <laughs> and, and that's the short version. Well, here, here goes some more. What other activities you're engaged with? Um, in our office, uh, in our suite, the Intercultural Ministry Office, we also do a lot of intercultural competency training because knowing how to speak and interact with communities that uh, look, think differently than you, that has to be intentional. So we do a lot of presentations and uh, workshops to help ministers and pastors and ministry leaders and the laity work on developing and fine-tuning their intercultural competency skills. 
The other things that I'm involved with, I'm also a part of two subcommittees for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. One is the Subcommittee of African American Affairs, and the other one is the Bishops Working Group for Youth and Young Adult Ministry. And I'm on a wide variety of other uh, committees and organizations across uh, the country. How long have you been with the Archdiocese of Atlanta? You know, what led you there? So I've worked for the Archdiocese for 15 years, and what brought me here, um, believe it or not, was college. I am uh, a graduate of Clarkland University. And when I got here, um, the Lighthouse was about two years old at that point because they got established in 1999. So I came in 2001. It doesn't seem like it, but uh, I was a typical Catholic student. So I went to Mass and went home, went to Mass and went home. You know, they would say, hey, why don't you come by and hang out, do some retreats with us? I said, yeah, sure. And I just went home, you know. But it was my sophomore year where I got a little bit more engaged in the life of the community and began, uh, began to uh, get more active because of the experience I had at home and an experience I had with the director at that point, Monsignor Edward Branch. And with that, my senior year, I just got a calling to work for the church. I said, I, I think I want to do this. At the time, I thought I was going to be a movie director. So I said, I'm going to make movies and change the world, right? Um, but having this experience at Lighthouse, I said, I think I want to work for the church. Um, at that point in time, what I wanted to do, um, I could not communicate or elaborate on. And when I returned home uh, to my hometown, Birmingham, Alabama, um, what I was looking for was not there either. And about a year and a half, two years or so of kind of working in various jobs, I got a call from uh, Monsignor Branch, who was Father Branch at the time, and he said, hey, there's this opportunity here for a job, and before you even finish, I said, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> and that's essentially what led me back here. Um, I was not the first, second, or third person that applied for this position. Uh, I was not the first, second, or third person that interviewed for it. I was somewhere in the middle. And it ended up working out. God saw fit for me to be here. And uh, the next thing you know, uh, 15, going on 16 years later, here I am working for the Archdiocese, now fully here at the uh, Pastoral Center of the Chancery for the Archdiocese. You know, as I stated earlier, Ashley was part of the team that revised the Laudato Si Action Plan and put it online. He championed the Embrace Environmental Justice and Equity section. All right, Ashley, what is environmental justice and equity? So I'm going to do something here, Leonard, and I'm going to read what's in our action plan first and then kind of give some meat to it to make it a little bit more personal. And that's for our listeners who may not have had the opportunity to pick up this wonderful document that we worked on with so many others. And in our document, we define environmental justice as the fair treatment and meaningful involvement of all people, regardless of race, color, national origin, or income, concerning the development, implementation, and enforcement of environmental laws, regulations, and policies. And then later on in the document, we go on to say that our goal in environmental equity, uh, which refers to the distribution of environmental risk across population groups, to enact policies that ensures fairness for all socioeconomic groups and assistance to those adversely impacted by polluting facilities. And so we're talking about environmental justice and equity. We have a gospel call to take care of the home that God has made us stewards of. And, you know, that wonderful chapter in Genesis and Leonard, I'm a good Catholic. I may not be able to cite the scripture, but I know it's in there, you know. <laughs> and at the beginning, you know, God gave mankind, humankind dominion and not to dominate the planet, but to be fruitful and multiply, to take care of this home. He, he, he entrusted us with stewardship of this gift of 
life and, and everything around us. And so we talk about environmental justice. I think we have to continue to push to make sure that we are good stewards of the land that God has given us because God has given this land for all and not just uh, some or a requited few. And when we talk about equity, and I think that's a question that we were going to really kind of dig in deeper the more we get into conversation. Um, equality and equity are two completely different things. Yes. And when we talk about equity, we want to make sure that everyone is starting off at the same point, especially when it comes to environmental equity. Equality, um, everybody starts off at the same point and gets the same thing. It doesn't necessarily mean an equality of outcome, but everybody's beginning at the same spot, at the same place, and gets the uh all the same exact opportunities to succeed or fail in their own, right? And we talked about equity. Equity is some folks, some communities, some individuals, some circumstances are not starting off at the same point. And they may get the same resources as others, but they are definitely starting from behind the curve. And so here's, uh, here is, is a call to action. Think about where you live and just take a look around and see the access to grocery stores and fast food uh, restaurants that exist. And I will use the example of my time being a student at Clark Land University in Vine City in the West End compared to the time where I lived in Midtown on uh, the border of uh, Midtown and Buckhead. And so uh, when I lived as a student at Clark Land University, the major grocery store chain that exists in Vine City and the West End is the uh, Kroger City Center. And if you've been to the Kroger City Center, it's much more than just a grocery store. It's a bank, it's a barbershop, it's a pharmacist, it's an eye doctor, it's uh, hair care products. It has almost anything and everything you can think of uh, to be uh, helpful in living in that area. But also in that area, there's uh, multiple fast food restaurants. You have a Taco Bell, you've got a Popeye's, you've got a KFC, you've got Bell Bonds places, you've got liquor stores here, there, dotted all over the place, right? But it's a veritable food desert. Uh, tons of gas stations. It's also located, a lot of brownfields are in that area. And when we say brownfields, we're talking about areas that were designated by the city for industrial purposes, um, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things are in that area, populating that area. Now you go up to Midtown, Buckhead, where I stayed. Uh, there was a Publix, the Trader Joe, the Kroger. There was a uh, Sprouts. There was a Fresh Market. I could walk to Fresh Market. The only fast food restaurants that I could see immediately in that area were McDonald's and Burger King, only two. If there were liquor stores there, they were boutique-ish liquor stores, so you wouldn't know that it was a liquor store until you walked up on it. Mm -hmm. And it didn't have the word liquor in big, bold letters. <laughs> you know, It would have yeah. Leonard and Ashley, fine spirits and wine, things yeah. like this, that, and the other. Not too many brown fields or industrial areas located in, in, in that part of Midtown where I stayed up by Peachtree Park. So we talk about environmental equity. What's going on with the communities there? What are they exposed to? What are the folks over in Vine City and West End exposed to on a regular basis, not only with food insecurity, but also the, um, there was an industrial plant not far from St. Anthony's of Padua over there. And we mentioned this in our document where they uh, made car batteries, right? And um, you can imagine what's happening in the land and the water and how it's been contaminated and people live in this area. Are both of those communities, all those communities starting off at the same place? And that's the, the call to action for our listeners is to take a travel on your side of town, you know, from where you live and neighborhoods you live in to a neighborhood that uh, has more access to uh, grocery stores or less access to grocery stores. What does it look like? What do the neighborhood structures look like? What are the people walking around? You know, what's the public, what's the access to public transportation? What does that look like? And these all have detrimental 
impacts on communities, right? I wanted to tell a story. And listeners, as you're noticing, uh, Ashley can take two minutes and turn it into two hours. <laughs> I'm a good Southern storyteller. Um, but my grandparents on my dad's side, the uh, good Graham and Rebecca Morris, may they rest in peace, they lived in the Collegeville area of North Birmingham. North Birmingham is uh, one of the industrial areas. Uh, that was the Catholic side of my family. Growing up, uh, every Saturday and Sunday, my dad would pick me up for altar server training on Saturdays and then on Sundays. Uh, we would go to church. We could, when we went to my grandparents' house after church or before church or after practice, etc., you could literally stand on their porch, look to your left, and see the smokestacks billowing smoke in the air from the coal uh, refining factories. That's how close we were to it. My grandfather, again, may he rest in peace, was a World War II veteran. And when he got back from the war at some point, began working for Jim Walters Resources, which was a uh, coal mining uh, plant there in Birmingham. And those familiar with Birmingham, they also own Sloss Furnaces, which is closer to downtown. At some point, after, way after my grandfather's death, and uh, by the time my grandmother had to live with my uh, aunt and uncle because of her health, the city did some work and tested the soil in the area and found that there were these high levels of contaminants in the soil, very high, so high, in fact, that they had to legally go in, dig up people's property, and replace the soil because that's how contaminated the soil was. Well, as it turns out, my grandmother and a lot of folks in that neighborhood were folks that grew their own vegetables. And so if you're talking about my grandmother's in her 80s and they're finally digging up the soil and replacing it, what was she planting and what was she eating for so many years? Did that have detrimental effects on her health? And my father, he's since passed, uh, and may he rest in peace too, but he was doing some investigative work because they still do not know my aunt and uncle um, still do not know what exactly my grandfather died from. So this is what we're talking about and why having a, a sit-down, synodal-esque conversation about environmental justice and equity is important because these things have real impact on people's lives. Yeah, it, it does, you know, and that covers. Now I see why you had the heart to do it. This wasn't a, a feel-good thing. This was, you know, making something right. Why is it important for the church to specifically address environmental justice and equity in the first action plan, they talked about more advocacy, but we specifically addressed it in the revised one. But why is it important for the church to address that? Churches historically, and in my experience, uh, have been centers for social activity, right? And so I grew up in a, a what we would call as Catholics, a mixed household where my, my father's side was Catholic and my mother's side was Baptist. And so I had the experience of going to two different churches and having two different church homes and still having church mothers and church fathers and uncles and aunts who, who are still alive today who know me from two different you know communities. And in each community, these were local churches where you could walk to, to Sacred Heart of Jesus as my church in Birmingham. We could walk from Sacred Heart of Jesus to my grandmother's house. And so uh, very family-oriented churches very small, but family-oriented, and everybody knew each other and everybody kind of supported each other. And it was from that experience that I had this great understanding of how important the church was and continues to be for communities outside of just spiritual growth and development. We had a lovely conversation um, many, many years ago when the director of Black Catholic Ministry was uh, Mr. Charles Prejean, and we had the opportunity to interview uh, a gentleman named Clarence Lott, and Clarence Lott was a member of the Knights of Peter Claver, 
and he was the son of one of the first men who joined uh, the uh, organization when it was uh, started in the early 1900s, 1901, I believe. And one of the stories that he told us was that when he was a youngster growing up, when anybody had trouble with rent assistance or food insecurity, anything came up in the family, the first place that they would go to is the church and they would see his father. And much to his mother's chagrin, if somebody needed some food, his father would take out, you know, food that they had in their house and just give it away. And, uh, you know, his mother would complain, like, well, what are we going to eat? But that's just how integral the church was to that community that he grew up in. And that's the same type of community that I grew up in, too, where if anything was going on, you could always appeal to somebody at the church and they could find a way or, or make a way happen when all seemed lost, right? And I think the church continues to be centers of, of social engagement today where if society uh, treats us or circumstances treats us a particular way, our safe haven, our parishes, our sanctuaries, you know, that name is, is, is used for a reason, um, where people can go and get some help. And so when we're talking about being good stewards of the land that God has given us, the earth that God has given us, the church is important. We have to continue in that mission and also not only just advocate, but do some action-based things to address these food insecurities and uh, these issues that plague our folks. And we have a number of churches and parishes that that do them here in the diocese. What I would like to see is perhaps continued partnership between communities, whereas, you know, you may have uh, Christ the King Cathedral in Buckhead, where their situation is a bit different, can have community groups or small faith communities from the parish link up with some of our parishes on the other side of town to help kind of address some of these issues and advocate for them. And early on in our conversations, uh, when we were putting together this document, Leonard, one of the examples you gave me, which stuck out, and uh, I did a little bit more research on it, I said, my God, Leonard is right. We talk about uh, the things that we can do in order to uh, talk about and encourage sustainability and, and care of our common home. We mentioned um, solar panels and solar lights, right? A community uh, in Lawrenceville may be able to afford to outfit a parish or a home with solar energy. That may be uh, not the best use of resources on another side of town. Maybe there's something else that's really more pertinent to the health and well-being of the folks, where later down the line we could have a conversation about solar energy and clean energy. But that's not helpful when I've got a tire fire happening, you know, less than a mile away from my parish and maybe less than half a mile away from my home. The church has to be dynamic. We continue to be dynamic. Uh, one size does not always fit all, but I am thankful that God has given us the creativity to see things from different vantage points and to lean on him to be able to respond in an equitable and equal way where necessary to fight the ills that really keep people from living the God-given humanity he's given us. And so I think the church is, has a very special role in advocating for that uh, and encouraging communities to learn more about not only what's happening in their area, their neck of the woods, but what's happening on the other side of town, what's happening across the world, and how we can decrease our carbon footprint to make life a little bit more sustainable and better so that we all get the opportunity to start at the same point and succeed or fail based on the gifts that God has given us. But of course, we all want to succeed. No one wants to fail. But we all have to recognize that we need to start at the same point. And to whom much is given, much is expected. I know That's it's right. in the Bible somewhere. Um, but I can also quote uh, P. 
Peter Parker's uncle. With great power comes great responsibility, Peter. <laughs> well, do you think that environmental justice and equity should be the conscience of the action plan? Uh, because you're right. Uh, sometimes th- there's resources to do solar here, and there's other uh, areas that, that need a roof to put solar panels on yep. you know, before they do that. So, you know, every once in a while we start measuring sustainability by kilowatt hours saved and gallons of water saved and and trash diverted. You know, and I was wondering what what your thoughts are. Shouldn't environmental justice and equity be like the soul or the the conscience of an action environmental action plan? Yes, absolutely. Uh, And I I say that wholeheartedly. based off of you know, what we talked about, my own personal experiences, um, both grandparents, both sets of grandparents that I had grew their own food. Um, they weren't farmers in that sense, but a lot of the stuff that came through the house was stuff that they got out in the backyard and you know they went and, and bought the other things from the, the market, the grocery store that was necessary. Solar panels in our home was not a discussion <laughs> that ever happened. You know, it was not something that my, my parents or my grandparents thought that, you know, this would be nifty and we could save so much in our energy cost. Um, and of course, uh, with me being born in the early 80s, this wasn't a conversation too many people were having, you know, right. mid to late 90s, unless you could afford to actually, you know, kind of do that. And so I think environmental justice and equity should be the conscience because when we take a step back and we look at our circumstances and we understand that, well, wait a minute, I'm starting from a different perspective than a brother or sister who may even be sitting next to me in the pew. What is my responsibility to encounter and accompany them as we both try to solve these problems together? Um, the word that we tend to use when having conversations about uh, encountering an accompaniment uh, and even in our conversations about social justice, which is st- very much related to environmental justice, uh, allyship. You know, we want allies, and you hear that word, ally, a lot. And I had a moment uh, of reflection one day on that word, and it just kind of came to me while thinking about many things. And I think it's time for us to grow from being allies to being kin, brother and sister. So allyship is great, but when I hear allyship, here's a problem, an ally comes to help me fix the problem. Problem solved, the ally moves away and moves on to something else. But when we talk about kinship, if a problem arises, my brother or sister is standing there right with me, we work on it together, and when the problem is solved, we're still together. We're not separated. It doesn't become them versus us, or we're over here with our thing, and they're over there with their thing. No, we're in this together. And I've got this wonderful scripture that I wrote down because, uh, again, great Catholic, know it's in the Bible, but I want to make sure I cite it for our listeners. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is is honored, all rejoice together. And so with this environmental justice and equity being the soul of this document, I think that scripture citation is very, very important for us to uh, keep in mind that this is something that we all experience together. We can either enjoy the goodness of God's uh, planet together, or we can suffer the consequences of poor stewardship together. But we cannot do this alone and it's not done in isolation. What impacts and affects one community definitely has ripple effects that will impact and affect another community. Guaranteed. Finding finding common ground this side of the grave, huh? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How does your faith impact your perspectives and action on sustainability? Mindfulness and compassion, these two things that I am 
learning. I have learned and continue to learn uh, today when it comes to my faith extends towards creation and, and the environment, right? And so we are constantly asked or expected to model Christ's behavior. And a lot of that is showing compassion, love to one another, and also being mindful of what's going on in your own body, uh, being mindful that God is in control of everything, and being mindful that if you see someone suffering, there is something that you are called to do to help ease that suffering. Like we talked about that quote in uh, first from First Corinthians in Letter of St. Paul. And so... I don't look at mindfulness and compassion as these things unrelated to everything that's not my spiritual growth and development. Um, when I tell people that I am Catholic, I don't say I am a Catholic. I say I am Catholic mm -hmm. because it's a way of living. It's a way of being. It's a way of Christian discipleship seen through a particular lens. And once it's seen through that particular lens, that means anything and everything you are a part of is colored and informed by what you believe to be true, what the gospels speak. And so that's why I would say my faith impacts my perspectives and, and, and actions on sustainability, because if I'm mindful in my faith, if I'm mindful of God's presence, if I'm mindful of being able to show compassion and love to others as God showed it to me, then I have to start thinking about being mindful of my carbon footprint or how my decisions here impact people in my immediate neighborhood, how my decisions impact people on the other side of town, how the choices I make, the companies that I purchase from, uh, the places that I shop, how all of that kind of impacts all of us and, and gives us all the opportunity to be able to thrive or together or to struggle together. Truly, truly a plethora of great information. So how can people get in contact with you? The easiest way, because I'm a millennial, the easiest way is to email me. Um, and that's at A Morris, A M O. R-R-I-S at archatl.com but if you're one of those folks who like to call and hear a voice on the other end my number is 404-920-7586 Excellent. Well, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of calls because you know, you're either you're informing people of new information or you're confirming what people already knew. Alright well, you, you did it earlier but do you have another call to action for our listeners? Yeah, I got a, I, I wrote a couple of down because I knew what you were going to ask me so I wrote a couple of down but that, that first one is along the lines of a, encountering an accompaniment, you know, just visit another side of town. Be aware that life may not look exactly the same way it does for you uh, as it does for other folks. But another call to action, and this is one that I'm trying to work on, you know, Target and Kroger, places like that, and I think some Publixes will recycle your plastic bags, you know, and it's not just the bags that you get from Kroger, you know, it, any plastic bag that you have. And so I know in our cultural family, we tend to use plastic bags multiple, multiple times to keep them underneath the sink. But if you've got a big bag of them like, you know, we do when we're shopping, uh, I would strongly encourage you to package them all up. And the next time you find yourself at a Target, just take them inside with you and put them in the receptacle. And that's one way that you can kind of lessen your carbon footprint. Reusable bags are always uh, great. So if you have the resources to get some reusable bags, do that and take them with you as well. And then I also have here a pantry purge. What is a pantry purge? This is a, an idea that I'm working on, and I'm, I want to get it in one of our parishes to see if it works. Go through your pantry and pull out food that you are not going to eat and may have been sitting there for longer than necessary and plan on donating it to a food bank or a local church that works with uh, the Atlanta Food Bank here or any other type of service that 
uh, gives uh, food to those who need it. But before you donate the food, pull everything out of the pantry that you're like, oh, I don't want this. I'm not going to eat that. And look at the expiration date on it. And if it's expired, ask yourself this question. Would I eat this now? And if your answer is no, ask yourself this next question. Would I give this to somebody else? And then just sit and reflect on that for a minute, because a lot of times when we donate food to uh, food banks or organizations, we'll go through and we'll purge our pantries and we'll give folks anything and everything, even the expired stuff. And so is that uh, living up to our Christian discipleship? If I would not eat something that's past its expiration date, but I'm comfortable with giving it to somebody else, that is not good stewardship of God's <laughs> gift. That's right. And so once you think like that, it'll also keep you mindful of, well, what am I actually buying? Why am I not eating this? And should I change, you know, my shopping habits a bit to kind of, you know, be a better steward of my gifts and, and, and what God has given me? Ashley Morris, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. And, and, and if, if the listeners and you think I'll be helpful again, I'd love to come back. All right. Well, be careful what you put out there. <laughs> All right. T- take care. Thank you. You've been listening to the Archdiocese of Atlanta Faith and Sustainability Podcast from the Chancery at the Archdiocese in beautiful Smyrna, Georgia. On behalf of those that make this podcast possible, I am your host, Leonard Robinson. Meet me next week on the corner of Faith and Sustainability. May the Lord be with you. The preceding podcast is a production of the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Atlanta. Copyright 2023.